The Kansas League of Municipalities is actively seeking a new executive director. You can still get your application in, I believe, but that process won't hinder development of the organization's policy agenda ahead of the 2023 legislative session in January. With us today is Spencer Duncan, Director of Government Affairs at the Kansas League of Municipalities, and he's also a Topeka City Council member. Uh, We're going to work through the uh, league's uh, wish list for the session. Welcome. Hey, glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thanks for helping us. There's a lot of issues that, that uh, whether people know it or not, uh, touch people at a local level here of government. Let's begin by telling us a little bit about the League of Municipalities for those who are unfamiliar. League's been around since 1910, actually created by the legislature, believe it or not, to make hmm. sure that cities had some protection. 530 plus uh, of the 625 cities in Kansas are members of the League. Um, our goal is to advocate on their behalf provide them information. So while I do government affairs and lobbying work for them, I am a small percentage of training and education on open records and and leadership training and government elected officials training and legal advice. Our our lawyers took over 2,000 calls so far this year from cities with legal questions. So that's sort of the breadth of everything that we do. Yeah, that's that's fascinating and it's got to be helpful. I hope so. I mean, I know that change comes on the local level quicker than anywhere else. Feds, it takes forever. State takes their time. But if you want to change, you go to your local council or commission and you can get it done pretty quick. And so we we take that very seriously in making sure that those bodies can still operate in your favor more often than not. I think it was Tip O'Neill who said all politics is local. That's right. And so why is uh, an organization like this needed? Well, we always talk about local control. It'll probably come up as one of our first topics on what we call home rule, which is always our legislative priority. I tell people it's actually our mascot. If I could come up with what that would look like, then if someone wants to send me an idea, I will make the mascot. I will wear it. Um, but home rule is important because it allows municipalities to deal with local issues locally. I mean, just as much as the state likes to complain when the feds send down unfunded mandates and, and things they don't like, same for your city. We don't always like the state to intrude in areas where we say that that may work for County A, but over here in City B, we don't want to operate that way and we don't have to. And so mm-hmm. that's our biggest, always our biggest issue is home rule, home rule and home rule again. So let's just talk about home rule. That That is something that comes up and, you know, sometimes I think people's eyes glaze over, but it's a really important principle, constitutional principle, I believe, uh, in in. You know, if you uh, want to deal with blighted structures, for example, and the state wants to pass a law dictating how you go about that, the process of, maybe Leavenworth wants to do it different than Garden City. Right. And there should be some state standards uh, so that we're not digging up things, you know, especially when it comes to whether it's water issues, right, or environmental issues or those types of things. Because you want, I mean, alcohol laws are pretty standardized. That's good. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when you're dealing with specific issues, the blight we deal with in Topeka is very different than the blight they're dealing with in Dodge City. And how they can approach that, the resources at their disposal are very different. One size does not fit all. So when those cases, we look to the state to facilitate resources for us, which doesn't mean give us money. It means make sure programs are open, make sure we can access state level programs, federal level programs, but let us make the rules at home so that the people in that community can decide how they want to deal with blight instead of the state telling them how to deal with blight. So hopefully a number of the legislators have come up through the government ranks and have served on city councils or county commissions, for example. Many of them have, and usually that plays well. Every once in a while an issue comes up where they're like, yes, but I think this needs 
needs to be uniform across the state. I hear you. Uh, and we always have to have that debate. Yes, remember, though, when you were up here as a local person saying local control, let's let's tap back into that inner you. And when you think about these issues, being on the Topeka City Council, that must... Uh, kind of inform your your conversations with legislators? It does. I mean, I can honestly look at them and say, I'm in the trenches. I actually literally every day am dealing with my city staff and, and my other elected officials to deal with these problems. And I have constituents too and, and real issues we're trying to deal with. So so I don't just say it as I want it because I'm the lobbyist. I say it also because I am a elected person who's trying to who needs every tool you can give me. What I always ask of the legislature is when you pass a law that might take some tools away, offset them by giving us some other tools back. Mm. So it's it's okay if you didn't like this tool and the way we we're using it, but don't just take it away from us. Give us something else that replaces it to still let us deal with the problem. And that doesn't happen all the time. Let's just dump, jump into one of the issues uh, that can be a point of conflict. There's just generally call it government competition. So a specific example would be for many years, there's uh, the owners of a fitness club empire, Genesis. Uh, they have places all over the state and multi-state, actually, mm-hmm. complained about the taxes that Genesis pays. And they've lobbied hard uh, over the years to try to get property tax breaks because they don't like the fact that nonprofits like the, the few YWCAs or mm-hmm. YMCAs are or have tax exemptions. That would be an example of a government competition issue that perhaps the league would have an interest in. It is. I mean, because some of that crosses over to things that, A, cities are doing, right? The cities have run some operations through nonprofits or work with them that would be impacted by that. And then we also have, likewise, in our community that are serving a lot of people. Two biggest arguments I always make to legislators on that are, first of all, most of those nonprofits are offering services that the private sector is not. In other words, they're offering health care, or, or I mean, to child care. Yeah. They're offering uh, food programs, right? Genesis, God bless them. They're for profit and great. I hope they make all the money they can, but they're not offering those services at no cost to their community. We need those services to help our citizens. Second thing I always remind them is if it's going to be good for the state or for the city, it better be good for the state. And I have not seen a bill yet that also applies this rule to the state of Kansas. And as someone who prior to coming to the league spent years doing some nonprofit trade associations who did education programming, who this would impact, I can tell you the state currently impedes on those programs. But none of these bills also say, well, the state will also stop getting involved in these competitive processes. And once you remind the state of that, sometimes those agencies pop up and say, wait a minute, that's not what we wanted to happen here. And I I just want equality. There's the old saying, I don't care if you treat us shabbily, just treat us all equally shabbily. And Mm -hmm. I want that to apply to the state also. Right. Good point. All right. Another point of contention would be property taxes. You know, you got a point of contention. People. Yeah, there's a lot of legislators who say property taxes are too high. I I suppose at some point you got to pay for government. Uh, But so the legislature has tried repeatedly to try to influence uh, taxation at the local government level. And they've tried to, they would argue, increase transparency by having public hearings or requiring certain documents be sent to taxpayers, uh, identifying what your property tax was in the current year and what it's going to be. Some of that might be useful, but do you think there's an overreach going on here at all? 
Well, a little bit. First of all, I don't think there was ever a lack of transparency. I think if you look at any tax bill, regardless of the county, they've always been pretty detailed. And, and that's okay. We we initially opposed what is the current law that they owed, which is this revenue, what they call the revenue neutral rate. But it's the law of the land, and we're not there to fight it. And that'll be a big issue this year. What we look for is once you've put something in place, if there are problems with it, we need to fix them along the way. So our request to the legislature now is, fine, you gave us a system that we don't all love, but we're going to learn to live with it, but you have to work with us to, again, give us additional tools to make sure that it works the way you intended. And that that goes to, on, on taxes, that is a big problem. That is something where the legislature has taken tools away from the locals, asked them to do more with less, but not mm-hmm. given us any other options to find resources. Yeah, that's uh, top-down management. What about the dark store issue? Can you explain that? Yeah, I'll try. Uh, so there, there was a Walmart store that was assessed value at what happens if the building has a Walmart in it, which would be very different than if that building was empty and did not have a Walmart in it. Mm-hmm. Walmart appealed and said, that's not fair. Actually, the way the process should work is you just assess the building. Doesn't matter what business is in the building. Went all the way to the Supreme Court who said, we disagree with Walmart that the, the tax code as written says that they can do it that way. Um, they didn't say it was unconstitutional. They just said that's what the current law is. So those who had an issue with that will be introducing a bill to change current state law. We're good with the way it is. We think that that's an outlier. We, if you look at how these assessments are made, that doesn't happen all across the state. It doesn't happen with small and mid-sized businesses. And the tax code seems to be working just fine and, and the, there's an appeal process Although you would we're would good hope with it. That, that the application of this is is systematic across the state and there's some uniformity we, we would but you know the reality of that sometimes is you get different people assessing taxes in different communities and they have mm-hmm. they, they have a handbook they follow they're all qualified they do a pretty good job but sometimes differences do pop up but that's why we have a board of tax appeals and that's why we have a whole appeal process including a court system and so it's not an unchecked process here's an issue that might be under the radar that i think the league has has weighed in on Regarding regulatory mandates when you're transporting somebody in an ambulance, in a medical vehicle, and it's about the personnel in that vehicle with the ill person. It's mostly small towns, uh, as mostly smaller to mid-sized communities who have maybe two ambulance, four ambulance drivers total, if if that. And in this case, uh, state law says I need one driver, one medical professional on a transport from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in a lot of these communities, those transports are pretty far because the hospitals are maybe even out of the state. Yeah. Well, the regulatory board that oversees that said it needs to be two medical professionals, which is beyond the law. And that is taking two people out of communities and sometimes for several days as they make these transports. We're not asking for any other change except to roll that back, go back to state law, give us one qualified driver, one medical professional so that the other medical professional can stay back in the community and serve the community. Is there any way to get around it by having the driver also be a medical professional? Well, that that's part of the problem now is that is that they're requiring right so now they're one right now the drivers they are using are the other are the okay. second medical professional. But we have people who can be qualified be... drivers. Cities have qualified drivers who can do the actual driving, mm-hmm. who have the proper licenses. That's that if they get taken out for a day or two, city can eat that. They can't mm-hmm. eat someone who can do an emergency medical call. <laughs> you know, right. in a community of twelve hundred people, if you lose that person and the next ambulance is 40 minutes away, that's a problem if you're having a heart attack. Right. I would say the redundancy in that ambulance doing a transport to another medical facility 
Hmm, that, I, I'm weighing that against having somebody with some skills come and respond to my heart attack. Right, that's right, and that's the that's where we're at. And like I said, the, originally the legislature's intent was that, and we understand regulatory boards are there to they're professionals, and sometimes they think things should be upped. And if they want to make that case, they can go over to the legislature and make that case. Mm-hmm. And that's what we would argue. The legislature would stand up in support of their own law. We would hope a so. related issue is in mental health, and I think this is in communities, cities across the state. All 625 of them are going to have mental health issues in which they want community-based services. The, what's the league think about that? There's not a single city that doesn't deal with that issue. Now, the issues are slightly different. Some places have nowhere to send individuals at all if they're in crisis. Others have places they can't hire professionals for whatever. They're, they're trying to recruit those. They've got the, the openings. They just can't get anyone to come there. And so they're trying to find ways to do that because of where they are. Um, to their credit, the legislature has made some improvements the last couple years mm-hmm. in loosening some of that up and, and offering some services available. But it still needs funding across the board, especially for smaller communities. It's hard for us in Topeka to hire people right now. I can't, I mean, I know it's just unbelievably hard if you're out in Garden City to hire somebody. <clears throat> right. And this is probably an overlooked area of, of, of governance in terms of grappling it, with mental illness. Well, it deals with multiple problems, and, and it's not always mm-hmm. that individual's fault, but it, it's it's in systemic in some of the homelessness issues you deal with. It's systemic in some of the criminal acts you deal with. It's Substance just systemic abuse. in helping people, mm-hmm. having the resources to simply help other people in your community. Right, substance abuse. I mean, so it, it touches a lot of other issues that you're dealing with. It is one of those core problems that if you can find a way to deal with it, you suddenly are also alleviating a lot of other issues in your community. You think it's actually a greater challenge in rural areas, you mentioned the hiring of people, but I just think having the facilities and and people are so spread out in rural communities. You know, you look out there and you're half a mile from your closest neighbor. Yeah. That's a little different than getting on a metro bus and riding ten blocks right. to the clinic. Right. That's absolutely right. You no, know, I mean, so oh yeah, facilities are a huge a huge need, and and finding some transportation folks who will come in from out of state to who run those facilities it would be very helpful. There's a thing that it's also across the board in the state of Kansas is a housing shortage and affordable housing. And uh, what would the league like to see done? Yeah, so again, I will give credit to the legislature on this one. The last couple of years, they've actually opened up some programs that have helped cities access federal dollars, grant programs, and even state programs that didn't exist before. So good for them. Um, but they're, again, not a city that's not dealing with the housing problem. And housing is probably one of the other two, three issues that are your core problem. Homelessness, right? Keeping kids in school, um, just helping everybody in general, and nobody has enough of it. Quality housing. doesn't matter what size of city you are. Mm-hmm. One of the things we would like to see the state do is open up a at least a $100 million revolving loan fund that cities could access, because now that these programs exist, which is great, nobody has the capital. <laughs> and so, especially a smaller community, they want to be able to access it. A low, it's a loan. We're not asking for the free money, but a lower interest loan that these cities could take out to then build some of these developments and and fix some of these blight issues and run down houses and turn them flip them around right the state could run something like that because it's really not a profit no that's the point center not right. supposed to be a profit center but they have a massive billion dollar whatever right. excess right now and everybody wants that and i get I that of course they do but There's, but i think if they look at the core problems i know they're going to look at the food sales tax issue with that getting to it quicker great that's a corp. That's a money in people's pocket. I think housing is ob- absolutely. I don't think there's a single city that wouldn't say, "Oh, you're putting money towards housing. We we object to that." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there'll be a big battle in the in January when the session starts over over that money. There always is. There's there's a lot more interest in spending money than making right, cuts. Right. Nobody wants to be at the meeting where they're making the cuts. Right. Yeah, we just did some of that. It was so. There's a, the state has a program. It's called Star Bonds, and it's really an economic development tool in which you modify tax obligations of businesses and in in areas, uh, these development areas, try to bring in new business, but it's called the star bonds and, and uh, it, it involves uh, tax revenue. So uh, what, would the, what would the league like to see uh, done in that regard? Or perhaps you're playing defense on no, this. We, I don't know. We, so we absolutely support, supported the lowering the food sales tax and we support the legislature doing it away with it immediately if they can instead of the three-year phase out. What nobody thought about, and I, this is unintended consequences of legislation, was star bond projects are paid back through sales tax in the areas that get them. We have a couple star bond projects who, once that bill passed, realized, oh my, we have a lot of food sales tax collected that pays off that star bond because we have a Costco, a Walmart, a Sam's Club, a Kroger, a Hy-Vee. We have a lot of groceries in this zone. Um, nobody thought of that. So they're going back to the legislature saying, we have a problem. We don't know how we're going to pay back these star bonds if we're losing this food. Ta- but we want you to keep the food tax low. Right. So there's currently $3.4 million in a star bond fund that would take care of next this next year. But it expires after that. So our ask of the legislature is, let's do the math on what these star bonds that are going to be impacted would be. And let's put the money in that for the length of time to cover that so that we can also make sure that we can lower the food sales tax quick. It is a fact. Fascinating consequence of something that's a very popular policy, and that is eliminating the state's uh, food sales tax. Yeah. There's no one, like I said, no. It, one of those things I don't think anyone. Re- All those smart lobbyists about, right? over in the <laughs> nobody Capitol, nobody saw what it, was right. going on. Okay. Not on that one. Until some some smart accountant for one of these cities did the math and ran to their city manager or mayor and said, "Uh, we have a problem here." We the star bond districts, many. Tens of millions of dollars. Some of these projects are just absolutely they massive. Are. I mean, so. we have one in Topeka, and I'll tell you, it, it is not as impacted by, say, the one down in Newton. I mean, we certainly collect a little, but we don't have a bunch of stores in that area because it was for the Heartland Park project. It's on the mm-hmm. outside of town. Um, but, yeah, for the one that's down there and a couple other areas that are right in the heart of a big district with food, it's it's a sudden oops. What is the solution? Just general taxpayer dollars are going to cover those bonds? Well, we think, if we think again, with their surplus, they have enough money. Because we're not talking. 10 or 20 million dollars a year we're again talking three million ish or so over the next five six seven eight years which adds up is a lot but it's still such a small amount versus delaying getting rid of but the it's food the sales entire tax. state taking over the taxing responsibility of something that benefits newton correct doesn't benefit me correct but the truth is once they approved the star bond they did that i mean they stopped taking revenue in from those mm-hmm. communities that would have gone to the state in the first place which is why though the legislature came back over the last two years and tightened up star bond requirements because they thought they were a little loosey-goosey there for a few years they certainly they were. were that's right so. and i still think the accountability on star bonds is terrible yeah they you are. know i want independent annual reports on whether it's working or not. Yeah. And so I do think the legislature's recognized that we can't do it the same way anymore. So we can stop that problem moving forward, but we still have these problems out in the world today. I think we're going to close out on your agenda here for the year on an issue that some people may not think you would be involved in, but it's about water water policy. And when you turn on the tap, people have expectations. 
They do. And we think uh, the average person like me who grew up in the, the, the city of Topeka, all right, we just think about the water that we comes out of our to drink every day. Um, but the reality is a lot of this state is, is ag based and water is essential, not just to making sure they stay in business, but to actually feeding us and a lot of the rest of America. And there's a problem with water. Um, you know, we, we can cite whatever that reason is, whether you think it's climate change or just the weather has changed or whatever. You're, you can't deny there's a water problem. Well, another issue is if you're drawing water out of the Ogallala Aquifer yeah, that covers much of the state, a lot of the vast majority of that goes to irrigating crops well, and, and increasing production. And if you look at the rate of when that aquifer is going to be gone, it's hor- it'll give you nightmares if you care about those. I mean, it's 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 horrifying. And so there there is a water commission. It has been meeting for probably 30 years, if you want to know the truth. But we have hit the point where a lot of legislators, especially from western Kansas, have said, enough's enough. We have to put create water policy. From the league's perspective, we not only think there needs to be water policy, but we also recognize that what works in western Kansas is different than what works in southeast Kansas, mm-hmm. what works in the middle of the state, what works in eastern Kansas. And so we want them to also understand as, as a giant body, and sometimes it's hard to get the legislature to understand nuances, but there needs to be nuances in that legislation to give those locals the ability to deal with their specific water issue because they're different. And that's what we will advocate for, back to that home rule, but, but we'll make sure those policies actually work too. We're not just blanketing it for, you know, we want them to be good policy, but we want to give some flexibility to the locals. To you want real Kansas to go away. No, <laughs> just have a have a massive water problem. Right. That's so the ethic is going to be about conservation across the board, but how that's tackled in a, within a jurisdiction might be different. Right, because some have different. I mean, obviously, the rain we get in this part of the state has been very different than the rain they've gotten and the snow that we'll all get and, and the moisture over the next course of a year. Mm-hmm. So I may need different whether it's stricter policies in in western Kansas or freedom. I mean. I just read an article about one community trucking in water from another community because they had plenty and they needed some, right? Mm -hmm. So Western Kansas would like the freedom to be able to do those sorts of things, whereas parts of Eastern Kansas may say, we don't have that problem. We just need to do a little more conservation to to make sure that we don't run into that problem in the next 30 years. I think everybody can conserve, but the issue at hand is you go far southwest Kansas and maybe get five inches of rain a year, and there could be 35 inches of rain in far eastern Kansas. Well, there's also a misperception. I don't think, with respect to all my good friends on this part of the state, who when I always tell them, I'm going out to Wichita, and they say, oh, you're going to western Kansas. No, it tells me you've never Mm -hmm. been to western Kansas. But they don't understand what irrigation is, really. What does Mm -hmm. irrigating a crop look like? How much water does it really take or not take? What goes into getting the water for that irrigation? They think of watering their lawn, right, up in this part. So, so So there's just people who live in parts of the state, me being one of them, who don't have the knowledge base of what it really takes to do that to make sure that we can grow food mm-hmm. you know and so there's misperceptions because of where you're from that we don't want to seep into that policy we want it to be based on the actual facts and needs of those communities well mr duncan i think that um, this is an interesting list of agenda you'll have your hands full in the state house there certainly will be a few surprises so you have to stay on your toes always but a surprise i want to thank you for helping us go through some of these issues that do touch on on people's lives out there anytime and if people ever need anything they i'm easy to get a hold of we're at lkm.org and so they can just find me there and i will do my best to answer whatever i can whenever i can well thank you for joining the kansas reflector appreciate your help thank you 